It was 1843 when a priest working in the uh, town of Rockmore in southern France noticed that the organ was not playing correctly. And so he investigated it and discovered there was some water damage. That's why the keys were off. And so he commissioned someone to fix the organ in this small Catholic church in the south of France. And uh, as the completion of the renovation happened, it was coming close to the Christmas season. And so he tapped a local poet, a writer in the town of Rockmore, to write a poem in commemoration of the holiday season uh, to also coincide with the fixing of the church organ, which he did and was happy to do so. He, he was very excited to be tapped and kind of lauded himself as a, a, a prolific prolific writer and someone that uh, should have been asked, and so he was happy to do so. On his way one day to the capital of Paris in a carriage, he wrote the poem that we know as the song, O Holy Night. And so he came back, presented it to the priest, and the priest loved it, but realized this is more than a poem. It's really a song. But the guy that wrote it, Placide Capot, was not a, a musician by any stretch. He was a writer only, but he had a good friend in town who was a composer of music as well. His name was Adolf Adams. He had already written several pieces, and so they collaborated on the poem and came up with the song that we know as O Holy Night. They presented it very close, just a few weeks out from the Christmas season in 1847 to the priest. They sang it in the church. The priest loved it. The church loved it. The town loved it. It was taking off like gangbusters. It was moving through the south of France until the church discovered some things about the writers of the song. Placide, the writer of the poem, was actually an atheist. He didn't believe in God at all. And the guy that wrote the music was a devout Jew who did not believe in the nativity story nor that Jesus was the son of God. And so the church tried to squelch the song, tried to move it out of the church. You can't use this song during the Christmas holiday season, but everyone loved the song. It finally came to America where it was translated into English, and today we cherish and love singing that Christmas hymn, O Holy Night, like we began our service with today. But Placide, not believing in God and being an atheist, had to figure out what the story was really all about. And so he grabbed someone else's Bible and looked at Luke chapter 2 so he would understand what the story was about before he actually wrote the poem, which became the song that we love to sing today. And so I want to start out by, by reading Luke chapter 2 and the story of the nativity, beginning in verse 1. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, de decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. 
And that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, when suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find him wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angel had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, well, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all of these things in her heart. And thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. This holiday season, we we focus on this story in the life of Christ. It's a story about a teenage girl who is pregnant out of wedlock. She is betrothed to a young man, and together they are going to bring this child into the world. It's what's been prophesied for centuries, that Jesus will be born of a virgin, that God will come down and put skin on and move into our neighborhood and show us how to live with one another, how to express joy and compassion, to extend grace and mercy to all those around us. And so they travel some 80 miles to Bethlehem. And while there, they discover there's no place to really stay. And someone has a sheep pen that most scholars believe is probably a cave just on the outskirts of town. It's gated where they keep their sheep and goats. And so Mary and Joseph in the dark find this location They kind of bed down for the night. Joseph fluffs up a little bit of straw. The animals are present along with the smell that comes along with animals. The farm tools are there. He's got a small small lamp. He builds a small fire to keep his soon-to-be wife warm for the night. And then the, the activity begins. How many dads here in our audience were present when your first child was born. Most of us, if not all of us. I I remember in March of 1994 when our firstborn son, Tanner, was born. We had scheduled to be at the hospital so that Robin could be induced if we hadn't had the child before that day. And so on that Wednesday, we showed up at the hospital. She was induced, but two hours of pushing in, nothing had really happened. And so the doctor said, we're going to take Tanner via C-section. So we got into the OR, and they put the, uh, the curtain where we couldn't really see what was going on. I stood up by Robin, held her hand. We talked to one another. They kind of had her strapped down to the gurney. 
When suddenly we heard the cry and Tanner was born coming into the world, they took him over to the warming area where they cleaned him up just a little bit, wrapped him in a blanket, and gave him to an awe-inspired dad who looked at this little thing, scared I was going to break him in two. And his eyes were looking up at me, his cute little nose. He was perfect. He was a blessing. I couldn't believe that Robin and I had done this. And then, like a very bad husband, I gave Tanner back to the nurse who took him out of the room. Robin never saw the child. (laughs) I know. I regret it every day of my life. I never said, hey, look, babe, look. I just said, here you go. I didn't know what I was doing. But, you know, Joseph and Mary didn't have to deal with any of that. Now, they were in the dark, in the sheep pen, and the two of them together doing something they had no experience with at all. Together, they helped Jesus be born. Together, they cleaned up Jesus. Together, they wrapped him up. Mary nurses for the first time. Joseph puts hay in the manger, and together they lay Jesus down for his first night of rest on this earth. It is a a special time when they realize that the hope of the world has just been born. That's what God has told them, the Savior for all mankind. It's good news to everybody who knows the story. And church, we need some good news right now, don't we? We need some hope in this difficult world. As we watch the news and we recognize there's a brand new variant with COVID that is spreading across our world, and we wonder, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my job, my income? What about my travel plans for the holidays? Can I get together with my family this year? How does it affect me? We read about Christians who are being persecuted in Sudan and Libya. We see the chaos that exists in the Middle East that never seems to subside. We hear about children who don't have enough to eat in Africa and are dying every day. And we turn the news to our own country where our own children once again are being killed in a school shooting in Michigan. Our loved ones tell us the word cancer, and as it rolls off their tongue, we can't believe it's hitting so close to home. And in a time of celebration and festivity, we recognize there's going to be an empty chair at the dinner table this year because someone was taken from us way too soon. Some of us are working through issues in our own marriages, or we're praying for our adult children who are far away from Jesus, and we just want them to come home. And some of us in this holiday season are going to sit in an apartment alone after work wondering, does anyone even know my story? And some of us deal with a cloud of depression around us all day long, and it seems hopeless. But then we read this story of Jesus' birth, and we get the rush and the thrill of hope. This idea that we're not in this thing alone, a Savior has been born. And this season, my hope is that you will rejoice. 
That in your own story, no matter what is happening around you, that you and I will clasp on to the story that we have a Savior that loves us desperately and wants to give you so much. And in the chaos of darkness that is around us, we see there is a new and glorious morn on the horizon. I mean, you think about that, that moment, the, the morning, the first morning after Jesus' birth. It's been dark. They've tried to keep warm. They've cleaned things up the best that they can. The animals are around them. They've tried to get some sleep that night. Strangers showing up, wondering what the story is. And finally, the sun pops up. And it's a brand new day with Jesus on the earth. And we realize in our own lives that a day with Christ changes everything. I introduced last week an event that happened 600 years before the birth of Christ. When the Babylonians came in and conquered Jerusalem and broke down the walls and killed everyone, and everyone that didn't die, they were taken off into captivity for 70 years. It was a difficult, horrific, tragic moment in the life of the Israelites. There was a prophet, a guy by the name of Jeremiah. He wrote the book of Jeremiah in our Old Testament and the book of Lamentations. He was present when all of that happened. And for world powers in that time and period, it was important to make a statement. And so when you defied the world power, they wanted everyone else to know, this is what happens to you when you don't do what we say. And so the king is on his mobile throne in the city gate as his generals and officers are piling up the cut-off hands of those that they've conquered in a large heap. Those that were in royalty, nobility, and leadership are tied to a stake and they are filleted alive. That means their skin is pulled off of them while they watch their children and wives in chains being marched away into slavery. Jeremiah sees all of this knowing that he is a servant of the Most High God. How does he move through this very dark time? And in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 19, he says this, The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. You see, we have a hope in our Savior who has come in our night. And Jeremiah moves from hopelessness to a moment of faith. He moves from depression to excitement in a Lord that is present. He moves from night to relying on the light of the world. You see, what we notice with Jesus is a new day with Christ brings the hope brings every single thing that we need in life. And sometimes it's not what you need. Sometimes it's not what you want, but it is what you need. 
I'm thinking about the story in Exodus chapter 11. Moses leads all of the Israelites out of, out of Egyptian bondage, and they're out in the wilderness. They don't have anything to drink, nothing to eat, and they're asking Moses, did you just bring us out here to die? Because you know, back in slavery, we at least had a meal. And so God sends food for them. Transliterated, it's the word manna. It literally means in Hebrew, what is it? We're not sure. It's a bread that comes on top of the ground every single morning. They go out and collect it, and it's what they have to eat. And they're happy to have bread for a little while, but it's not too long before they begin complaining about what they have. It sounds kind of like some Americans that I know. You see, church, what we realize is that we need Jesus every single day. We need him in our life to give us hope. As we struggle through temptation, as we struggle through an addiction, as we work through problems in our marriage, as we pray for our adult children to come home, as we're battling through that, that prolonged illness in our life, we need Jesus. As we deal with the loneliness and depression that might hang over our heads, we need Jesus. As we work through anger because a family member is acting out, we need Jesus. And Jeremiah says, the Lord is my portion, so I will wait on him. And we discover as well that a new day in Christ brings the hope to keep going. In Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 25, Jeremiah says, he is good to those who hope and depend on him. Because church, we can go 40 days without eating anything. I know that's hard for you to believe, but it's true. I may need to do some intermittent fasting myself in the midst of the holiday season. But we can go 40 days without eating anything. We can go three days without drinking any water. We can go three hours during a storm without shelter. We can go about three minutes without taking air into our lungs. But church, we cannot go one second without hope. You and I need to place our hope in Jesus Christ. But so many of us lean into other things that are our hope. Sometimes it's our bank account and our retirement. Sometimes it's the house in which we live. Sometimes our hope is in our kids that we live vicariously through. Sometimes it's a relationship we find ourselves in in the moment. Sometimes it's our pastor or our church. But sometimes we end up placing our hope in things that will not last. But what we do know, church, is that Jesus Christ is eternal. And it's in him that we place our hope. The writer of Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Church, we serve a God that keeps his promises. And what a blessing to know how loved we are that he sent his son to us and for us. They say it's always coldest right before the dawn. And for some of us in this room, you feel like you're in the middle of your night. But I want you to hear that the light of the world is right around the corner. He's here. He's waiting to have a relationship with you. 
He's calling right now. <laughs> you see, a new day in Christ brings the help that you are seeking. I mean, what does Jeremiah say in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 26? He says, it is good to wait. It is good to wait. I'm thinking about a story in Jesus' ministry, John chapter 11. Jesus is doing ministry in a town, but he's got a family he's very close to in another location, and their brother gets sick. And so Mary sends a friend to go get Jesus and say, look, your friend Lazarus is sick. You need to come and heal him. But the text says that Jesus stays two more days to do more ministry, even when he finds out his friend is sick. And when he finally gets to where Martha, Mary, and Lazarus live, Lazarus has already been dead for three days. And as he approaches the house, he hears wailing and crying. And there's a, a cloud of depression over the house as he walks in. Mary pops up and comes to Jesus and says, where were you? We waited for you. We knew you could change things. You could make things very different. And Jesus says, where's the tomb? And they take him out to where Lazarus has been buried along with everyone else in the house. And they are looking at the tomb. And it's in this moment that it says, Jesus cried himself. And then he says, roll back the stone. And several older men in the group step forward and say, hey, hang on just a minute. That's probably, probably not a good idea. He's been in there three days. In the King James Version, he stinketh. Don't open the door. And Jesus says, what's about to happen is going to happen so that God can be glorified. You waited. So now the story will be revealed to you about how awesome your God truly is roll back the stone. The stone is rolled away, and Jesus says the words, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, standing upright, appears in the doorway, back from the dead. Sometimes we're called to wait on the Lord. But sometimes in our dark moment, we forget what a day with Jesus looks like we forget one day with Jesus makes all the difference in the world to you and me. I mean, you just ask the woman in Jesus' ministry who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had emptied the bank account. She had, she had gotten all of the local physicians to try to heal her. Nothing worked until finally one day she saw Jesus touch the hem of his, his garment, and she's healed instantly. She knows the difference that Jesus makes. Or the blind man, born blind, had never seen color, never seen birds, never seen anything. And Jesus touches his eyes, and suddenly it's 2020, and he sees everything going on around him. He knows the difference one day with Jesus makes. Or the paralytic laying on a pallet by the pool in Jerusalem, he's been paralyzed for 38 years, and Jesus tells him to get up and take your mat. And he gets up and he begins to walk and jump up and down and jog a little bit. He's excited about what Jesus has done because he realizes and knows what a difference one day with Jesus makes. 
for each and every one of us. And somebody here needs to know in this room or maybe watching online that Jesus will make a difference in your life. Some folks listening this morning, you're having trouble in your marriage. It's time to invite Jesus back in. There's some of us in here who are, who are hoping our kids will come home from that prodigal journey. and It's time to let Jesus back in. There are some of us who are dealing with loneliness and maybe depression. It's time to invite Jesus back in. There's some of you that are having difficulty with a relationship in your workplace. It's time to invite Jesus back in because one day with Jesus makes all the difference in the world. He is an awesome God. You have hope in the middle of your night because the light of the world has been born. Paul knew that we needed Jesus very close to us. So he says in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, he says, This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds with dirty clo- like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, we serve an incredible Savior who wants to do so much for you in your life. And in this season, I want you to experience the thrill of hope that only Jesus can give you. We, along with the rest of the world, rejoice that God has loved us so much, that he gave us the greatest gift we could ever hope for, greater than anything else we could possibly purchase, the love he has for us exhibited through his son, Jesus Christ, is priceless. And so this holiday season and beyond, my hope is that you will embrace the hope that only Jesus can give you. As we sing this next song, my guess is in in a crowd this size, we've got folks who are anxious and maybe worried about the holiday season. Maybe you've got some things weighing you down on your heart, and it's difficult for you to embrace the hope that Jesus can give you. Well, as we sing this song, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room, and I'd invite you to find one of those couples, let them lay hands on you, let them pray over you, let them remind you of how important you are to God. He sent his son for you. I want to offer a prayer of blessing as we kick off the season together, and then we'll stand and sing together. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you with a humble heart as we reread the story of Jesus' birth we are reminded of how much you truly love us. And God, our prayer is that we would embrace that thrill of hope that only you can give us, that we'll be the kind of people that would be light in the dark places that we come in contact with each and every day. Help us to be be people who carry Jesus with us on our heart and on our lips. During this holiday season, help us to be and remind others of the hope they can have in Jesus Christ. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and praise his holy name.